0: Now, maybe one of the young people here can tell me who wears a crown. Can someone tell me who, who wears a crown normally? Yes, Jemima, who wears a crown normally? A king. A king wears a crown. And so we wear crowns at Christmas because we're thinking about someone being king. And what I want us to see as we look at our first part of the, uh, the reading is that Jesus comes as a king. He comes as a ruler. In that quote that we had from the prophet Micah, it says, For this is what the prophet has written, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler, that is, a king, one who will shepherd my people Israel. I'm going to take my crown off just for a moment, but you can keep yours on. You're not allowed to take yours off, only I'm allowed to take mine off. So we wear a crown because it reminds us that Jesus is a king. He's a ruler. Now, I'm aware, of course, in the United Kingdom that we we have a queen, and uh, we thank the Lord for her, but most of her powers are kind of ceremonial now. But in the ancient world, a king or a queen had real powers. A king or a queen was a ruler, someone who exercised real authority, and one of the questions we've been facing implicitly over the last year particularly is this very real question for us. Who is it who is in charge? Who or what is wearing the crown in our lives? Who has authority? One of the great desires for us as modern people is to be autonomous. Autonomous, that means to be a law unto yourself, literally to be the ruler of your own life, to be your own king, your own queen, to have authority, and to govern how you do your life, right? But one of the challenges this year is that our lives have been completely overridden by a tiny little virus that has been wearing a crown. I mean, it's ironically apt that it's called coronavirus, corona meaning a crown, because apparently in the physical form of the virus, if you look at the surface, it has slight spikes on it that resemble a crown. And it has been humbling for us as humanity as we have been subjected to the control in some ways and the authority of this virus. Governments have tried but failed to handle it. Um, Some have predicted certain things, they've not come true. In our own lives, we've been having to do things we would never have dreamt of doing, all because of this tiny little virus that has been exerting a huge amount of control over our lives. And one of the most destabilizing things I think I've felt, and maybe you can um, empathize with this over the past year, is that feeling of being out of control. Not knowing what the future holds, not knowing what next week is going to bring, not even being able, at some points, to plan shopping, simple tasks. Not being able to do things we we value enormously, basic freedoms, like being able to mix with one another, hug one another, go to school. The virus has exerted a huge amount of control. And of course, it raises the question who is in control? Well, in the passage that we had read to us, that is exactly the question. Do you see how there are two kings in this passage? Verse one after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, that's king number one. During the time of King Herod, that's king number two. Now, on the surface level, if you were to look at these two kings, they could not be more different. Herod, who's mentioned here, is Herod Antipas, so-called Herod the Great. He was a cruel and shrewd ruler. He amassed his power by a series of very carefully um, crafted trade deals with the Roman Empire that made him the ruler over all Judea. He oversaw a rebuilding of the temple. He was feared um, by his people, but he exerted an enormous amount of control over them. And in stark contrast, you've got a baby after Jesus was born. Think of this child. And of course, we know with little babies, they're weak, they're vulnerable. And so the question is, here's my child, Toby, three-year-old. And the question is, with, with these two kings, who is really in control? Well, I want you to notice a few things. I told you that families, you don't need to worry about noise. Mine are always the noisiest. First of all, notice that Jesus is born king. Unlike Herod, who had to construct his power base, who had to achieve his power base, built over decades until he ascended his full authority, Jesus is born king. Out of you will come a ruler. He's a ruler the moment he's born. He doesn't have to do any deals. He doesn't have to be democratically elected. He is born king. Notice, though, that his authority, even at his birth when he's just a baby, but he's not even really exercised any rule, immediately his authority exceeds that of Herod. So Herod is a regional ruler who holds the whole part of Judea in fear. But do you notice the detail about who comes to see Jesus? Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. We don't know whether these were indeed three kings from the Orient or whether they were three wise men or sages. They were certainly men of great renown and importance. And they've come from other lands, not from Judah. They've come from the nations. And they've come to give their allegiance. In fact, more than just their allegiance, they've come to give their worship to this baby. So Herod is ruler of Judah, just a small area. But Jesus is born king of the nations. Herod has to ascend to the throne and has to grasp after his power, but Jesus is born with all power and authority, and yet he's just a baby. That is real authority. And notice as well, finally, that we know that Herod commands fear of people, but look, Jesus has the allegiance of the Magi's hearts. We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. To rule by fear is one thing, but of course, when that rule is taken away, then you have no authority anymore. Herod was a pretty unpleasant character. Um, Josephus, the historian, tells us that when Herod died, he was so concerned that no one would mourn his death that he instructed his son to kill some of the most loved governors in the area at the time so he could be sure there would be tears at his funeral. Fortunately, his son didn't do that, but that's the type of guy that we're dealing with. He ruled by fear. Jesus does not rule by fear. We have come to worship him, That means we've come to give him our all, our allegiance, give him our very hearts, that which is most costly. So do you see the contrast between these two kings? And therefore, in a year when we have felt the exertion of the authority of a tiny virus, crowned, it seems, over our lives, something which has ruled us in many ways with fear, hasn't it? A kind of despotic ruler that we long to be out of its grips. Don't be fooled, there is a real king. He is the king over all nations. He was born king. He's the eternal king. He's the son of God king. And he's not a king who rules by fear, but he's a king who rules in our hearts by love and by worship. And living for him as your king, therefore, is true freedom. As I um, close on this point, sometimes we like to think that if only I could be free from all rule and authority and free from all kings and queens, then I would really be free. But if you've ever seen a country that has no rulers, that's anarchy. That's not freedom. It's the very opposite of freedom. It's when civil liberties are done away with. No, real freedom comes by having the right king over your lives. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ, the humble king, born as a baby, born as God with us, the one who asks for the allegiance of your hearts, serving him is perfect freedom. And in the second part of our passage, we're going to think about Jesus being our shepherd. So, he is a ruler. He is a king, but he is also a shepherd, Micah says, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, kids, if you've been going with your craft packs, then you'll hopefully have a picture of a shepherd there. And I wonder if anyone could tell me what the shepherd has in his hand. Can anyone tell me what the shepherd in the picture has got in his hand? He's got something in his hand. What's he holding? Who wants to call it out? A staff, did I hear? He's got a staff or a shepherd's crook. Now, we often you know, kind of sentimentalize that a little bit, but if you were to ask a shepherd why he needs his staff in the um, ancient um, uh, Eastern world, Near Eastern world, then he would say to ward off animals. There were lions, there were bears, and from an agricultural background myself, having grown up in Rutland, the only county in England not to have a city, and with my family being a family of farmers up until the last generation, I can tell you that sheep are about the most stubborn, uh, stupid, and also defenseless animals in the whole of the farmyard. A horse can run away, it can kick, a cow is big and intimidating and can charge. Sheep can't do anything to defend themselves, even a goat has got its horns to kind of butt with, but your general run-in-the-mill sheep, you know, might occasionally butt something, but it doesn't exactly offer a threat. And that is why you don't have horse shepherds, or you don't have cow shepherds, but you do have sheep shepherds, because they need protecting. They need protecting. And of course, the reason they need protecting is because they are defenseless, but also because there are things out there in the wild that if they're not protected against can do them great harm. And so the shepherd has his staff to ward off and to fight away the enemies and the wild animals that would seek to do harm to the sheep. And it's actually this image of um, Jesus being the shepherd goes all the way back to King David. David. Now again, we, we sometimes slightly sentimentalize King David, but you have to remember, David was a shepherd before he became a king, and part of the reason he was such a mighty warrior was because he'd been honing his skills by fighting off lions and bears with a slingshot and with a staff. He was not just some kind of small little boy, you know, kind of laying his, be- laying his um, head to rest on a nice bit of grass whilst, you know, he slept under the Middle Eastern sky. No, he would be fighting. It'd be a dangerous job. It'd be an intimidating job. And so when he ascended to become king, he was also the shepherd who would now protect Israel, God's people, from the enemies. And they did have enemies. And of course, his first job really as, you know, that got him to the throne in many ways, or as king, was to fight off Goliath, to use his shepherd skills to defend So it is, when Jesus comes as our King, He also comes as our Shepherd, because He knows something, again, I think we find it difficult to admit to ourselves, particularly as adults, that we do need protecting, and we do need, therefore, someone who is going to fight for us. You know, we've had lots of talk this year, haven't we, of fighting the virus, fighting the pandemic. And of course, science is wonderfully playing its part in that. But we must not think that things like science and um, vaccines are being done outside of the sovereign control of God. This is one of the ways that the Lord is fighting and protecting for us. One of the ways He's shepherding us is by giving us the gift of science, is by equipping people with brains to be able to engineer, bioengineer vaccines for us. This is part of God's sovereign loving control because the reality is is that there are forces in the world that are far greater than us. And there are things in the world that we need protecting from. Think of the Ds, the terrible Ds of the world disease, death, disorder, despair, depression. These are things which are outside of us and which are inflicted upon us from outside. And we need someone who's going to fight them and push them back for us. Well, when Jesus is born as not just a ruler, who's going to govern us with a loving authority, but also a shepherd who's prepared to fight for us. I don't know, maybe you're here this morning or maybe you're watching online and you're thinking, I feel very isolated. No one's fighting for me. Can I say, if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, He is the one that will fight for you. He is the one who has promised He will never leave you or forsake you. Oh, well, maybe you say it doesn't feel like that very much at the moment. I know that. But the Lord Jesus Christ is at work fighting to protect us. A Bible scholar was out in the Middle East and he was observing the shepherds out there as part of research for Old Testament commentaries. He followed one particular shepherd who was you know, doing what the traditional shepherds had done. He was calling the sheep into the sheep pen, the walled sheep pen, um, for their night's rest so they could be protected over the night. And then the Bible scholar noticed that though there was a wall all the way around the sheep pen, there was no gate to stop the entrance to the sheep pen. So he went over to the shepherd and he said to him, where's the gate? How is it that you stop, you know, wild animals coming in and taking the sheep in the night? And the shepherd looked at him and he said, I am the gate. I lie down in front of this entrance and exit. The only way a wild animal is coming into this pen to get to my sheep is over my dead body. So it is with Jesus Christ. He is the one who lies, lays down his life for his sheep He was born in humility, but he lived his life in humility. And actually, his whole life was born and was lived so that he would die. Because when he died on the cross, he was laying his life down for the sheep. He was saying to the forces in the world that overwhelm us, to disease, to death, to despair. He was saying to them, over my dead body. And by laying down his life, And then in the resurrection, by taking it up again, he proved that he's defeated them. Death, defeated. Disease, defeated. Despair, darkness, defeated. And so we live in a land now where we live in a time after Jesus Christ has died and risen again and before he returns, when all of those things will be shut out and this world will be renewed and he will shepherd us into his kingdom where there will be no more dying, no more disease, No more sickness, no more darkness and despair, for the old order of things will have passed away. And I don't know about you, but this Christmas, that feels particularly poignant and particularly precious to me. Jesus is a loving ruler, born king of all nations, who rules our hearts. But he's also a ruler who will fight for us. He'll fight for you. He has fought for you, He gave up his life so you can trust him. He is the shepherd who's died to protect you and to lead you into his everlasting kingdom. Let me lead us in a prayer now before the band come up. Lord Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, how different your rule is to that of every other king or queen, how different to King Herod who ruled by fear, who fought against his people, but instead you fight for your people. Help us this Christmas, when we're faced with much difficulties, many, many questions, to trust your loving rule and your shepherding hand of our lives. Help us to trust you and to walk with you, and might you lead us in those green pastures that we might experience refreshment for our souls as we trust the future that you'll bring in. We ask it for your name's sake. Amen.